Hey, welcome. Welcome to Mariner Monday. This is the uh, third or fourth one of these. Looking forward to talking about the uh, 2-0 M's on top of the world for the last time this season. Uh, plenty to talk about from their two to- two games in Japan, including the retirement of one Ichiro Suzuki, emotional times. Uh, we'll talk some over-unders, step back, uh, talk about some unfortunate news within the Mariner's farm system. Uh, have a little fun and get out of here. Uh, but before we did that, I wanted to just break off from the Mariner cadence just for a little bit. Haven't talked uh, too much Husky basketball this season, despite uh, being a, a relatively fun year, uh, first year back in the tournament since uh, since I was in high school. Um, so I, uh, I, I really, really crystallized this year of how much fun it is to have a great basketball team or even a, a good college basketball team to root for. It's awesome, and uh, I, I I really thank this group of seniors, this this particular Husky basketball team, uh, for putting in the work to to get us back there as as a Husky fan base. Um, it was it was awesome to have that feeling of wanting to leave work, uh, to rush home so you can get comfy and just watch a watch a college basketball game in the tournament. So before we get started, just wanted to 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 go individually through these four seniors that are leaving the Husky program. Um, and thank them for for my favorite moments from them, starting with with Mr. Dominic Green. Dominic Green, I uh, I gotta be honest, I left him for dead after sophomore year, which would have been after the two and sixteen year. He was billed as a shooter. Um, it was anything but in terms of performance. His confidence was completely shot. He looked uh, completely lost defensively that season, um, and then he regenerated into his junior year form and, and senior year form where he was the Huskies best shooter, uh, hands down became a knockdown guy with, with just uh, a tremendous amount more confidence than he had in his first two years. I think his, uh, his seminal moment and as a Husky is pretty obvious. The shot he hit against Arizona to beat them um, as the Huskies were really rolling his junior year, Hopkins, his first year uh, was, was incredible. Uh, just, just big onions on that. And then his confidence level against USC in this year's Pac-12 tournament game um, in that opening round game where things were looking a little dicey. And he uh, started shooting shots that I've been wanting him to take for a very long time and hit a couple of those to save the dogs. After Dom Green, we have David Crisp, um, a, a interesting cat for sure, uh, was kind of the, the point guard by default, uh, but had the mentality of, of a two guard throughout his career. Uh, a couple moments stand out with David Crisp. The first one happened his freshman year, um, in which the Huskies had uh, Dejounte Murray, Marquise Chris, that team that got kind of close to making the tournament, but was ultimately just too shitty defensively. Uh, but anyways, Crisp had a game. I was living in Massachusetts, and it was like a sun- Sunday afternoon or something, and uh, the, they were down 12, I want to say. I'm making all of this up off the top of my head without without researching to USC at home. Um, and I went to go play basketball and I, I shot probably for like half an hour and then checked my phone and it was a two point game. And I had no idea how it happened because they had been playing so bad. And I ran up back to my house and watched them actually pull it off. Uh, but it was in part because David Crisp just started hitting a ton of shots and uh, blacked out as he is wont to do. Um, and that was kind of him, right? He was just an absolute gunner and not afraid of anything, uh, sometimes to a fault. Um, and then the other moment with him was was in the Kansas game, his junior year, uh, where the Huskies won. And he played so well and, and so under control uh, that Hopkins, when he had his post-game interview with, with uh, Scott Van Pelt, took Crisp with him on screen and made him basically sit next to him as he did the interview, which I'm sure ESPN was not too stoked about. Uh, but it was Hopkins' way of, of showing Crisp 
um, how good this can be if he plays under control. Never really got that from him, uh, but also that wasn't him to begin with. So um, that's that's crispy. I'll miss you, buddy. Uh, next is Noah Dickerson, who I will best remember for taking DeAndre Ayton's shit in the uh, same Arizona game that that uh, Dominic Green hit the game winner in. Dickerson was so good in that game, so adept at at scoring against Ayton, who he was giving up a good six inches to. Um, it was so refreshing throughout Dickerson's career to watch a guy who was just so focused on the fundamentals and footwork. Uh, this guy that got really in good shape uh, from where he came in his his freshman year to where he ended up in in his senior year. Um, and and it's unfortunate that the game, uh, the pro game, is not really made for him. But that's a guy who's going to make a a, a good good living if he chooses to do it playing basketball overseas just because of how how skilled he is um, and a great rebounder at that. Lastly, and I'll get a little emotional at this one, Matisse Thibel, um, a guy who, very interesting guy off the court. Obviously, his story of losing his mom is well documented, um, a thoughtful guy. But as a basketball player, I have never rooted harder or, or fought harder, I should say, uh, for a player in arguments or, or discussions with friends about uh, Matisse Thibel's viability as an NBA prospect back when he was a freshman uh, penciling him in as a three and D guy would never have imagined the level uh, that he was able to hit this year, where he was just an absolute atom bomb of a defensive player. Um, his ability to 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 get balls that shouldn't be shouldn't be intercepted by um, by normal players in the zone um, was just unbelievable and a product of of just great instincts and athleticism and 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 focus and and uh, and effort on his part. But as far as individual memories go there's a, that, that Arizona sw- swing last year was big because it, it had some big ones and for for Thibault against Arizona State which was a very tight game down the stretch um, he single-handedly took over that game just as a defensive player his ability to to poke balls free and to take away passes that were were easy entry passes into the high post um, just made it impossible for Arizona State to win down the stretch and then this year when I went to Atlantic City to watch them lose to Virginia Tech um, Aziz Thibel had an incredible game shooting, um, and when I was hanging out with friends who had never seen the Huskies play a zone uh, or knew really anything about Husky basketball, Thibel was the guy that stood out. It was the guy that was clearly our best player, and sometimes it takes me being an objective away from that uh, to really understand that. And, and Thibel really became one of my favorite Huskies ever, if not the the, the most favorite for his staying four years and, and enduring this. Um, so yeah, his, his, uh, his game is probably the one I'll be following the most, definitely the one I'll be following the most, uh, at the next level, just because he's been so interesting, um, and, uh, and enticing as a prospect and, and his, his contributions are many passing Gary Payton. I was there for that in the PAC 12 tournament, uh, the, the PAC 12 all time steals record, uh, was a really, really cool moment and, uh, and a product of just an incredible career. All right, that's uh, that's me off my soapbox for Husky basketball. I'm really excited about about the prospects of this this program, um, and it was it was good to give a shit again about about Husky basketball because it had been a long time since we had uh, really any cause to do that. Uh, but psychopaths like myself uh, were doing that the whole time. Uh, all right, to Mariner Monday we go. Phil. 
Hello, did you press the recording button this time? I, I did, yeah. We're, we're off <laughs> okay. to a much better start than last week. All right, good. Um, I can't waste any of my precious breaths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so last week I forgot to do that. The week before I forgot to add music uh, to the front of ours. So um, this week, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I my voice. Well, is we're just going to put it all together this week. It's <laughs> going to start to click. Yeah, exactly. Uh, quick question for you. Do you know where your passport is right now? It is in the night's. Well, do I want to tell you this? <laughs> okay, so you do know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. It's definitely yes. not in the nightstand next to your bed. That well, that's like. exactly where it is. <laughs> okay, so that's you're better than me. I never know where my passport is, and apparently, I share that with uh, Ryan Braun, who couldn't go to Canada uh, for the the Brewers exp- exhibition games because he couldn't find his passport. How funny is that? Now, do you think that he? Do you think there's any sort of duplicity going on there? Like maybe he just didn't want to go to Canada and yeah. He said, yeah, yeah. It's like Ryan, uh, I lost Ryan, my it's, uh, like, it's your wake-up like call. If I didn't want to go to like Cabo and everyone was pressuring me, you know, during spring break in college, I would just whip out the oh, I lost my passport. Sorry, guys. Uh, probably can't talk about it, but we actually know someone that that kind of maybe happened to. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll talk about that offline. But, but okay, uh, okay. But yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, definitely some duplicity from, from Ryan Braun. I mean, it's an exhibition game in Toronto and you're just chilling, waiting for the seasons to start and you're, you're a vet in the league. I think that's the, the epitome of a veteran move. That that's, that's fat. That's savvy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. It's just a heady play from Ryan Braun there. Uh, all right, let's, let's talk, let's talk non Brewers baseball. If, if that's all right with you. Well, um, that's my favorite subject. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about Mariners baseball and our three ups, three downs this week. Uh, it's going to start with uh, number one is for number 51, Ichiro Suzuki, uh, retiring after a masterful career. But I think the best moment of his career, or one of them, was this PR move at the end of it to retire like like mid-game. Mid-game. Almost, yeah. In Japan. Uh, that, when, it was. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, it was... Uh, you know what I liked about it is that I hated the whole Derek Jeter, David Ortiz... And even CC Sabathia is doing this now, and uh, who, yeah, and who did it in basketball? Who well, had like a oh Kobe Bryant? Yeah, Dwayne Wade's uh, been doing it too. You know, it's just where they have this whole season that they want to be about them, and everyone has to shower them with praise and tell them how amazing their career was and how much they meant to the league and stuff. And that's what I like about Ichiro is so just non-assuming. It was so unassuming. You know, it's just like same thing with uh, what's his name, Tim Duncan from the NBA. You know, it's just like. One day he just writes a little le- note on his locker room and uh, locker and says, "I retired." You know, there's no fanfare about it. They just play the game because they like to play the game. Mm-hmm. And when they're done, they're done, and that's it. Yeah, and it was it was good too because I mean, there's a there's a good faction of Mariners fans who are ourselves included sometimes who are just kind of uh, over the whole like rah rah celebrate the past and only the past Mariners part of it. And so keeping Ichiro on as as part of that was just kind of more proof positive of that you continue to do this over and over. But the way it worked out with two games in Japan and he leaves halfway through there um, and just kind of gets this whole week to himself of like Ichiro celebration week. And then it's, then it's just 160 game season at that point. It, it was, it was really, really smart. I think for everybody. Yeah, it was a good send off for him. It didn't cost anybody any at bats. Maybe Vogelbach got cost a few at bats, but over the course of the season, that's not going to mean anything. And the and the franchise got to honor one of its greatest contributors and a person who meant a lot to the game of baseball in general. Yeah, Ichiro's yeah. been playing baseball professionally for longer than either of us has been alive. He started and he's had a 27 year career. So Jeez. it's just. It's just, un- I mean, if you include his his career in Japan as well as in the United sure. States. So, I mean, the guy has played in more professional, 
more days as a professional than we've even been alive. So the longevity there is just absolutely uh, mind boggling. When I mean, it's baseball. There's there's you know thousands and thousands of at bats here in Ichiro's career. But do you have any specific Ichiro moments there or or periods that like you close your eyes, you think of Ichiro Suzuki is in a Mariners uniform? What do you think? I gotta think it's that it's that uh, ground ball that went through the right side of the infield. Uh, they were playing the Oakland A's, and this was maybe 2001 or 2002. But this was the time when I think everyone was like, "Whoa, this guy is this guy's real." He, uh, I, there was a guy trying to go first to third on a ground ball through the right side of the infield. Oh, Terrence Long, was, yeah, yeah, it was Terrence Long, and Ichiro just put a frozen rope <laughs> right to the third baseman and gunned him by you know a couple feet, which is something you just never had seen before yep. from a right fielder, and and that's when you knew this guy might have been from Japan, but he he's He's a unbelievably talented baseball player. I I remember. I mean, there's there's no specific. I mean, there, there's kind of God. The the inside the park home run in the All Star game was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was that that stretch in the the 262 hit year where he beat Sisler's record, where he was just stacking 50 hit months. I think he had three of them. Uh, maybe it was two, but it was just, it was nuts how, how it was like every at bat. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there were like stretches where he would go like 15 of his last 17. It was just absurd. How, how and that's the thing. Analytically speaking, Ichiro wasn't exactly the darling that other players might be, but on the field and to, from a fan's perspective on just being fun to watch, I don't think there are many guys that I've ever seen that have been more fun to watch than Ichiro Mm -hmm. and it comes from everywhere I mean there was a point I read a story about him throwing a bat in disgust after he popped up or did something and he wrote a letter to the person who made the bat and apologized for disrespecting (laughs) the bat and he just he just cared so deeply about every little facet of the game and you could tell that that passion just seeped through into every single play that he he was on on the field for yeah, it's very uh, it's very Mariner fan to get mad at really good players for not having other good players around them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Felix and Itro especially, uh, but it, when you kind of take that lens off of it, and yes, he played through some really really bad teams. Itro was amazing. Like he was he was a so far and away the most the best at his job or the best at what he was good at that baseball has ever seen. Um, which is just, it, it's it's nuts, and we take it for granted probably that that happened in front of our eyes. And one last thing, wasn't it almost a perfect way that Ichiro ended his career with that ground out to the shortstop where, you <laughs> know, 10, out 10 years ago? Yeah, 10, 10 <laughs> years ago, he would have beat that out. And yep. it was just almost such a perfect way to end it. You know, he's lost that step, yeah. but it's still just a classic Ichiro play, <laughs> you know? Where was Jim Joyce when you needed him as the first base umpire? Yeah, exactly. Jim Joyce would have called him safe. Would, would have was, called him safe. Uh, yeah, Jim Joyce, who jobbed Andres Galarraga out of the um, out of the no hitter, would have been perfect for that because I actually was that was a pretty bang bang play. Something that Joyce would have definitely given to the runner. Yeah, I mean that that's and Joyce is no uh, stranger to uh, hamming it up in the big moment. So yeah. so I think I think he should have been there for that. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, all right, that's we'll we'll talk plenty of Ichiro throughout this podcast. Uh, but right now, let's talk about the second out and the second win of the year for the uh, top of the world Seattle Mariners, who swept the Oakland A's technically uh, in in uh, in Japan. My big thing that I got out of this is through two games, and I kind of felt this way before the year started. 
But there is just going to be no rhyme or reason to how uh, this Mariners team is going to win games this year. Yeah, I think that's true. I think some games you're probably going to get a really nice pitching performance and the bats are going to be cold and then vice versa. I think the team is tilting slightly more offensively than we've seen in the past, but still it's it's and we've talked about this in previous podcasts is the volatility on this team guys who could be good and they could not be good and Mm -hmm. there's just so much more uh room for error on this team in both directions both positive error and negative error than we've seen in a really long time so it's going to be kind of an exciting season to watch as well yeah i mean there were were guys in the bullpen who had nice outings and there were just absolute blow-ups and uh you know guys in the guys in the lineup domingo santana has a great great first game and then you know it just it didn't really happen in the second game it's two games small sample size but uh yeah just it, it the, if if all of a sudden you look at a box score of the M's last year and they won 4 to 2 you could probably guess what happened Nelson Cruz you know had an extra base hit to drive in a run mm-hmm. uh, you know run or two and uh Hanniger did something <laughs> yeah Mitch Mitch Hanniger got a got a solo shot and Edwin Diaz had the save. Like it, you know, you knew. You yeah, knew it was formula. more formulaic last year than exactly. it's going to be this year. Exactly. This year, there's going to be some nine-eight games where Jay Bruce might have a three-run homer or something like that, and that's going to be kind of interesting to watch. It's going to be more. Uh, I guess there's going to be more su- surprise in mm-hmm. this year, and it's not all going to be positive surprise. There's going to be some negative surprise. What else but, did you uh, take away from these uh, these first two games? I got to tell you, no one's got to be more upset about having to go to Japan than the Oakland A's. What a nightmare to start the season <laughs> yeah. for them. Yeah, that was two games, Not only the two losses, but they lost Matt Olson and uh, Lazardo, who are two of their really good players, and, and they've got to just be coming back and thinking, wow, not only did we lose the two games, but we've lost a lot more. So they're, they're, they're already way behind in terms of uh, – in terms of how they thought their season was going to go to where it actually is right now. Yeah, they had to be the the PR sideshow to the Mariners in that with, you know, Kikuchi and, and Ichiro in there, in Ichiro's swan song, and they had two injuries and they lost two games. Uh, it was about as bad as it could have gone, but, uh, but screw them for being much better last year than they should have been, huh? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but other, other than that, the things that I took away from the games, and I did actually – wake up I stayed up. I didn't wake up I stayed up until two in the morning two thirty in the morning to watch that's that's a layup uh, for you your restaurant world yeah exactly so I was getting a little fatigued by the I don't know when the game went into like the 10th or the 11th inning but um the things that I took away was I know again it's small sample size but look how many walks they had look how they were working the pitchers and that was top to bottom that was one through nine that wasn't just the usual suspects like Hanager that you would expect to do such a thing but it seemed like everybody was really buying into that new, well, new and old philosophy of trying to control the zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good start, and you you see the skeleton there. And like you said, this is a much more volatile team in terms of what you're going to get from them. But these are also guys without real egos or established roles in the league. So I think that they are probably a lot more malleable to instruction and to philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that obviously makes Jerry Depoto's toes curl uh, that they can have control the zone type players. Um, and who, who are who are bought into that? Uh, but yeah, it was it kind of much ado about nothing. I mean, two wins here is is not going to matter a whole lot. But uh, uh, some some nice things to be pleased about. We'll we'll talk about. Can those. I give you a hot take that I received via text message? Absolutely. About those two games, I got a text message from one of my mom's friends who likes baseball, and he said, "Good start." Well, let me pull it up here. He said, "Good start. Two wins, more than I thought they'd have all season." <laughs> and, and I gotta wonder. 
how bad do you think you'd have to construct a roster? Do you think a, a college team would win two games throughout a 162-game season? I think so. I mean, yeah. it, it, like like uh, like the Washington Huskies college, college baseball team, I think they'd win two games. Yeah, I do too. So he's got to be thinking like maybe a really, really, really good select high school team. <laughs> Would would maybe be the equivalent in talent to this marriage team, which is it's certainly hot. It's a it's it's a it's a good take. I S- liked it. Send this guy this podcast and tell him we need him on um, to just spew <laughs> flames like that the rest of the year. Uh, I'm, I, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's exciting, and and yeah, I didn't expect to, but but uh, we can we can kind of do some predictions right here with our third out, uh, which is talking about some over unders for the year. Um, just kind of came up with some benchmark numbers for some some key things within this M season. Uh, see your take on whether the M's will go over or under on them. Sure. First one being D Gordon walking more than thirty five times this season. Now, when I first set this number, I had it a little bit higher, and I was like, oh, I should probably check uh, D Gordon's Baseball Reference. Uh, D Gordon's career high in walks for a season uh, for a guy that's hit leadoff for most of his career thirty one, which is ridiculous uh so 35 is the number all right i am gonna go this is probably gonna be my most wrong take but i'm gonna be very passionate about defending it i'm going way over way over like how far over like 15 walks over so 50 so you think d gordon hits 50 walks yes and i'll tell you why i have some numbers to support that and okay it is spring training numbers okay so again he's off to a solid zero through two games so I'm using the spring training numbers here. So remember I talked to you about O swing percentage and Z swing percentage. O swing percentage being the amount of swings that a guy has outside of the strike zone. Mm -hmm. And the Z swing percentage being the amount of swings he has inside the strike zone. There you go. Okay. In the minor or in spring training this year, outside of the strike zone, D Gordon swung at 12.5% of his pitches. Do you want to guess what his next lowest percent of chasing outside of the zone pitches would be like throughout, in, throughout his, his whole career? Uh, next lowest. 4%. 34.3%. Oh, yeah, going, so, going in the other direction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was swinging at – so that basically what that tells you is if a pitcher throws a ball outside of the strike zone, one-third of the time, D. Gordon was going to swing at it. This year, it's down to about 10%, 12%, okay? So he has been exhibiting throughout spring the ability to lay off of um, pitches outside the zone. And as a result, he's actually swinging less at pitches inside of the zone too, which might be a good thing because then he's going to see, consequently, more pitches outside of the zone. And getting on base is going to be the big point of emphasis for him this year. And I think he's not going to be as tempted to swing at anything that he can think he can maybe put the, put the where, uh, the barrel on. So, so I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on D Gordon going over 35. Do you want to bet a plate and Yoki on that? I, I wouldn't bet anything on my assessment <laughs> on baseball. Cause it's usually not right. <laughs> the Brennan league bet award. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it though. I like it though. That was some solid, uh, claim and evidence. Uh, all right, you say Kikuchi over under 200 innings pitched this season. Okay, so this one is the one that I know for sure I'm going to get right. Okay. He's going under 200 innings. <clears throat> I agree. Okay, and I just want to – here's the innings pitched from every starter 
on the Mariners last season. Mike Leak, 185. Marco Gonzalez, 166. Wade LeBlanc, 162. Paxton, 160. And Felix, 155. So nobody crested 200 innings for the Mariners last year. And those are all guys who are established major leaguers. Now, Mm -hmm. the Mariners have already said they're going to be careful with Kikuchi. They're going to pull him every fifth start and just give him a one-inning kind of opener start to just keep his arm loose. So they're going to be super careful. The, The front office has already shown a tendency to kind of shield guys from overwork. And Kikuchi is going to be the prime example of that. Well said. Yeah, they they there's no reason to it. I mean, there's the pitching him 200 innings this year would be would be a a force uh, given the expectations of this year. Um, and I think what you saw in the opener in Japan with about four and a half innings pitched is probably mm-hmm. what you're going to get a lot out of him. And he's not going to be pitching every fifth day, like you said, uh, in a normal starter's role. Domingo Santana, he of the Grand Slam in the opener. Over under 25 dingers for Mr. Santana, a.k.a. Showmingo, which is an incredible nickname. I like that nickname. I saw that one pop up a few times, too. So he needs 24 more home runs. <laughs> that is correct, yep. Okay, so he's going to get. He's going to play, you know, 150 games this year. A They're going to let him play. I want, I, I, in my belief, and this is one that's hard to back up with any stats. Obviously, 2017, he went over 25, but um, 2018, he went well under 25. But that could have just been a result of him not getting the at-bats. I'm going to go ahead and say over on this one. I, I agree. I think, I mean, just from a, a stupid, this means nothing perspective, he has plenty of reason to prove that he can still be that guy. Um, and he has the role to do it, which are two things that are one thing that he didn't have last year was the role, given what we talked about with my, how, how my, the oh, my one point of con- yep. my one point of, uh, of of caution on this is he is going to be playing 81 games in Seattle. So that's going to be something to monitor because Seattle's not a hitter friendly park. So that's a Russell Branion, Phil, who, <laughs> who torched torched that place for for all of two seasons. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely tough and it's not, it's not Milwaukee, but, uh, but I think, I think 25 is reasonable. And I think something like that would be, would be one of those little things that we can point to when the M's go 65 and, and, uh, and 95 this year of, Oh, that was fun. How Domingo Santana. Was, yeah. I think was... 25, 25 home runs or above would be what I would qualify as a successful power season for him. Obviously you want to see some more play discipline and some more bat to ball contact, but 25 or more in the power aspect would be something that I would say that's I would take that right now if you said he's going to hit 25 home runs I would say okay I'm good with that next up the Mariners are going to trade more or less than one and a half of their opening day starters by the end of the season so I'm going to go with over just because there's a few likely candidates that I think are definitely going to get traded Jay Bruce Edwin Encarnacion uh, and then you can never discount Jerry Depoto probably maybe getting rid of Healy if Healy's not working out because he is considered an opening day starter at this point. Mm-hmm. And then there's always going to be some surprises in there. So you got two guys you know for sure are on the block and they're going to be listening to. It just depends on their performance. And then, I don't know, does bullpen count as opening day? Because yeah. he's going to trade somebody in the bullpen. Yes. It's going to happen. Yeah, someone will someone will pop and someone will be what someone else needs to, needs to have mm-hmm. on their team and, and that'll be it. Uh, and I, I think you could probably count Seeger on there. I think, like, just for the sake of argument, and I, I th- that that throws an extra half player into that that argument. Yeah, and the problem with Seeger is, 
I don't know who negotiated this contract, but they gave him the dumbest clause in there that if he does get traded, he gets an extra year at his base salary. So teams are going to be hesitant to trade for Seager unless he really, really shows something strong when he returns from injury. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was not great. Was that was that the Poto regime? I believe that was Zirenzik, but I would have to double check. I, <laughs> that was the day. Any Jack bad Z, things, I'm just going to blame on a previous regime because it's going to make me feel better. Yeah, Jack Z got some some news that the axe was coming, and he's just like, "All right, Kyle, come in here. I got something <laughs> for you. F this place." Uh, the Mariners bullpen ERA over under four this season. It was uh, it was in the the mid to low threes last year, and doesn't look like it's going to be. Uh, as nails as it was last year. So I'm going over. Okay. I think the bullpen is one of the weaker parts of this team. You're, okay, so I have some stats pulled up. You're losing Diaz, who uh, had a 1.96 ERA. You're losing Nick Vincent, who had a 3.99 ERA. You're losing James Pazos, who had a 2.88 ERA. You're losing Colome, who had a 2.53 ERA. And you're replacing them with some guys that are question marks. And anytime you have a question mark in a bullpen, sometimes it get, I'd say one out of every four or five of those guys pops and becomes something really special. But you're going to get four of those guys who are just going to be kind of dumpster fires throughout the year, and you're just going to have to live with it. Yeah. And and so there's the there's the personnel aspect of it, but not even that. In a vacuum, when you don't have defined roles in the heading into the, the bullpen situation for a year, it's going to be ugly. I mean, you don't know right now uh, who the if Hunter Strickland's going to be, end up being your closer by the end of the year. You don't know the setup situation. You don't know the specialists. Those things will all round themselves out, I'm sure, by the end of the year. Uh, and, but but yeah. early, it's going to be ugly. Not to mention that anybody who is worth shown anything in the bullpen is going to be shipped out too. So they're going to be <laughs> replaced in quality players with inferior players throughout yeah. the season. This will be where the M's are uh, expert tankers. Is from innings six, six through nine is where where a lot of games are going to be lost. Yeah, uh, for sure. Which you know is is what it is for this year. Last up, over under series. Mitch Hanniger, a WRC plus of one forty. What was it last year? One thirty eight. One thirty eight last year. And so anyone, basically, the yeah. question is: Is he going to be a more productive hitter than he was last year? Yes. That one is. That is going to be the toughest one for me. All the other ones, I felt pretty good about my opinion on it, and I don't want to jinx anything, but I think he's going to go over. I, he's in that part of the aging curve where he's going to continue to get better. I don't know by how much or maybe league, the league is going to adjust to him, but he's shown a willingness to adjust back to the league. So I want to say he's going to go over. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm with that. I mean, there's there's no reason to suggest that he's on any sort of down curve in his career. Um, and you know, I think that the M's figured out at the end of last year where he's best used and it'll kind of continue through this year. But, um, yeah, Hanniger retaining his status as the, the all-star for this team, uh, would be, would be kind of the, the lone bright spot, uh, until some of those guys in the, the step back kind of frame come to play. So Hanniger is the stopgap between the next generation of, of good. To now, M's. let me ask you this. I don't have any stats to kind of support my assumption on this and i know this is something that's been hotly hotly debated in the uh sort of analytics community but what do you how much credence do you give to the notion that he's going to be seeing less pitches to hit this year because the lineup around him might not be what it was last year it makes sense but even at its 
best last year when the M's were at their best. That lineup was still in shambles. I don't know how much how much better uh, or worse the lineup minus Cano uh, and with you know some other, some other injuries in there was versus this year. I mean Nelson Cruz is obviously the big one, but I feel like the M's actually got kind of better in a lot of places on the fringes. Uh, I kind of agree. And yeah. with with a healthy healthy and better Seager this year at some point. I don't. I don't know if it's if it's easy to say that quite yet that it's going to be that bad for Hanniger that he's going to be you know getting just absolutely junk because no one's on on base for him. Um, and my my other little thing with that is if that if that notion held any water that oh they're not going to give him pitches to hit then Barry Bonds wouldn't have put up the years that he put up because no one would have wanted to give him pitches to hit and they mm-hmm. didn't but he still put up these miraculous years year after year. Mitch Haniger is Barry Bonds, uh, is, is what I just You heard it out. here first. <laughs> He's our Barry Bonds. Um, great member of the the Double B Club, by the way. Um, Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla. It's, Bo- it, I, you got Bobby Bonilla for me. Brett Boone. I mean, it's it's a deep club. I could spend a whole podcast talking about it. But, um, yeah, he Barry is our bouncer at the door. Uh, let's get a little smarter, Phil. How about it? Uh, let's talk. Blake Beaven. Blake Beaven. Blake Beaven. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm sorry. I'm I was just you. thinking yeah. of one for, like – last minute let's get smarter and let's talk about Yusei Kikuchi's incredible ability to hide pitches um the way he does it is pretty pretty interesting he keeps the ball uh behind his leg until he absolutely has to get it over his body to pitch um what is the what is the power and what is the effect of him doing this and why is it why is it such a desirable trait for pitchers to be able to do it in in any capacity not necessarily how Kikuchi does it but uh to hide your pitches a little bit so have you ever been to a bad batting cage, like a batting cage where it's, you know, like a Stodds, like they don't, the ball just comes out, right? Uh, you know? Yeah, in an illusions in Issaquah one day, I think that that was the case. But that's kind of what you get with Kikuchi. It's hard to pick up the ball. You know, the batter only has what, what, what is the statistic, like one tenth of a second to, to pick up the ball and decide if he's going to swing or not. Mm-hmm. And to not be able to see even where that ball is coming from, what angle the ball is going to be attacking you at before you even have the ability to make a a determination on whether you're going to swing the bat or not is something that's got to be so frustrating and and borderline scary for a hitter to not know where the ball is coming from before you even have to – because if you were able to track that ball, you'd at least know the angle it's coming in at you at, the direction. Maybe you can pick up a little bit of the movement even before the ball releases from the from the hand but if it's just appearing at you like out of like a crappy batting cage it's going to be so much harder to to pick up on that ball and make your determination quickly whether you want to swing or not Mm -hmm. yeah so i I was kind of looking at this from a from a science perspective it's it's uh it's what they call the little league effect so when you watch little league baseball games on like the Little little league world series and there's some you know, mustache, mustache, thirteen-year-old kid throwing seventy-one, <laughs> and then as as uh, as it shows up on the on the TV, or Hersizer will say, "That's seventy-one miles an hour here," but that's that's uh, about the equivalent of ninety-seven uh, on, mm-hmm. in, a, in a big league game, and that's not because of like any sort of ratio changing that, other than just the distance and appearance of that ball. Uh, right, it, exactly. It comes to you that quickly. Um, from from the mound that it might as well be a 97 mile an hour fastball, which is what there, Kikuchi does. Uh, he gets closer to the the batter before actually letting it go, therefore giving, or or before they can see it, therefore giving the batter less chance to respond to it. 
there was a pitcher that this got talked about a lot with the Mariners, uh, Doug Fister, if you remember him. Of he was a big tall he was a big tall guy and he had such a long reach when he was going towards the ma- uh, towards the plate that mm-hmm. the ball actually came out of his uh, hand a lot closer to the plate than uh, what would be from a normal pitcher. So his effective velocity was actually much higher than, you know, if he was throwing 91, it more looked like 95 because there was less distance for the ball to travel because he was reaching so much farther to the plate. It's kind of the same concept with Kikuchi, except it's not the distance factor that you're 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 now uh, manipulating. It's the amount of time you get to see the ball factor that you're manipulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kershaw is another good example of this, of just a, a large human pitching, and he has this kind of big lean to his delivery as he's starting it so that he gets so close to the mound by the time he actually lets it go that 95 feels like 98 uh, because of how little time you've had to react. So, this, yeah, the article I was reading was talking about how one foot of a hidden ball as you get closer to the mound is equivalent to looking three three miles per hour faster uh, than it is. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing that it's a good way to turn a pretty good pitcher into a, a really effective pitcher is just through deception like that. Exactly. Let's uh, let's let's pay the bills, right? You you've uh, you've you've got something for us. Uh, we talked, we kind of introduced your connection to to the restaurants last week. Why don't you do a little ad read for us on on where the people in Seattle should go for a nice meal? Yeah, this is an organic ad read. I don't have anything written down, but I do want to mention one thing. It's springtime. Mariners are starting. Um, we are introducing a new spring menu in our bar. I love our bar, Intermezzo. We talked about it on the last podcast mm-hmm. because we do a lot of experimentation there. That's where um, we move. Our menu is more, uh, let's say, it's less set in stone. Um, that's where we create a lot. That's like our laboratory, so to speak. That's where we create a lot of new specials, a lot of new interesting things because people don't expect the menu to be the same every time they come in. And when we find a, a, a an item that we really like and there's a really positive reception for it, then we talk about considering moving it up, like almost from AAA to the majors, like moving it up from the bar <laughs> the independent to, league. to to the restaurant, you know? And, and so that's like our laboratory. So if you're someone who would consider themselves a foodie or someone who's always trying to be on the cutting edge of understanding what's going on in, in the trends with, uh, in the culinary world, it would be really cool for you to come in and check out what we have to offer in kind of our new wave of menu items. That's Intermezzo Carmine. And, uh, where can the people find you? They can find me. Where can they find me specifically? Well, at like the, Phil- where is Intermezzo if people are oh, looking around? Oh, where Seattle is Intermezzo? Lo- uh, yeah. So Intermezzo is uh, right next to our restaurant, Il Terrazzo, and that's located on uh, First and King, which is very close to the stadium. So if anyone's going down to the stadiums uh, for a game or whatnot, you can come by, swing by, have a nice bite to eat and a glass of wine, and then go watch the Mariners and watch yes. Felix get pummeled. Well said, well said. All right, uh, I'm going to place a little a little Italian music in the background of that. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's step back for just a second. So this one, we don't have any exciting prospect that's, that could, I mean, maybe. Yeah, this is a more somber, <laughs> somber step Yeah, this back. is just a weird thing. So outfield Eric Filia, who is somewhere between the 20th and 28th best prospect in the Mariners system, uh, just got suspended for 100 games uh, for violating the substance abuse policy of the, of Major League Baseball. First of all, there's a lot of things about Eric Filia that I want to go over. The first of which is the interesting Philly, guy. Yes, very interesting, very cool guy. Um, uh, depending on your your viewpoint of the world, 
Eric Filia got suspended from UCLA for plagiarizing a philosophy assignment, uh, which sounds like he just gave his professor another great topic for a philosophy assignment. <laughs> um, yeah. Why? What? What? What is the moral imperative to not copying? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so this is the kind of guy, just just your you know life on the edges guy. It's his third offense for busting the substance abuse policy. So I had to look at what was on the banned list. He gets popped for 100 games. Here are the drugs it could have been. All of, just just listen and react. Weed, hashish, THC, cocaine, LSD, opiates, ecstasy, GHB. Didn't even know what that is. It's the date rape drug and PCP. Oh, all of which Wait, that's are not cons- fair. What if they? What if somebody slips something <laughs> into their drink? Well, that. But then also, how are you going to treat a player who's doing PCP and smoking weed as the exact same type of thing? And that's the thing that's so frustrating is he's not getting popped for a performance-enhancing drug. He's getting popped for a, a, a what they call a substance of abuse. Yeah. And the, I mean, what is it really? Like the guy's probably smoking weed, and I know it's like, well, it's a rule, and you have to follow it. But they don't even test for that in the major leagues. Why are the minor leaguers who make like $15,000 a year getting in trouble for smoking weed? They're making $15,000 a year. They have to smoke weed. Yeah, and to, he's, smoke, like, he's smoking their like, pain. He's smoking like Modesto's shitty weed too. Like it's it, like it, and I mean, you think about the lifestyle that these guys are living. So in 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 the NFL, there's this huge push for for legalizing marijuana because it's helpful for players dealing with sometimes cognitive symptoms of concussion and mm-hmm. and it can help them deal with stress and and you know kind of support a the, the crazy lifestyle that they live same with the nba and it, it just doesn't make any sense that you're going to penalize players for this um and treat these things similarly like like something that a guy might be doing so that he can be a better baseball player the next day that's complete that has no actual positive or like cheating effect on his body uh, is treated the same as him doing like <laughs> opiates and PCP. It's it's just right. It's, it's such it. an absurd. It's like such a relic of the past that. Yeah. And I know it's Ronald not legal federally, but it's legal in the state where he's going to play baseball in his career. I mean, listen, if he was like a number one overall prospect or even in the top ten overall prospects in the marriage system, they might be willing to give him some leeway here and, and eat the hundred game suspension and still have plans for him in the future. But he's the, he's on the fringes already. Yeah. So this hundred games might as well be a death sentence to his career, and it's just not fair. Yeah, it's it's really dumb, really really dumb. I mean, granted, this is the third time, and he's known the policy. Um, but that doesn't mean make it a good policy. It just means that he should have been doing things differently. Um, so yeah, it's that's that's really unfortunate. And, and yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Well, Eric Filia just seems awesome too. I, I was looking into him a little little bit more. He's a little bit different. Um, every time he walks the plate, he does this little shimmy thing. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and his walk up song is "Touch My Body" by Mariah Carey. So uh, little <laughs> little up there. And speaking about Eric Filia as a baseball player. We keep talking about controlling the zone. This is a guy who yeah. doesn't have a lot of power, but he's got unbelievable plate discipline. He's kind of a guy that would be a uh, sort of like a beacon for what the front office wants their players to be like in terms of plate discipline. So he has talent. It's not like he's just, oh, this doesn't matter, whatever. He was a talented uh, prospect for a long time, and then these you know career setbacks have really just – I don't want to say they've ruined his career because he still has a chance to come back. It's 100 games. But basically, they've ruined this season for him. He's going to be 27 next year and never having played above AAA. 
his his job prospects are getting really dim really quick. Yeah, yeah, this is dumb. This is just un- unfortunate, and we're talking about this uh, because he's a Mariners minor leaguer and technically fits into our step back segment. But yeah, just a really unfortunate way to to throw a wrench into a guy's career um, because of something as as truly innocuous as as smoking weed, um, albeit for the third time. But uh, yeah, it's it, that's dumb. All right, to our ex Mariner of the week. Uh, you do the obvious one, and then I'll handle the the nonsense ones from here. Okay, I I gotta go with Ichiro. I think we all have to go with. I think everyone who's listening to this has to put Ichiro into their heart forever now, and just <laughs> so just really accept who he was and embrace who he was as a baseball player. I talked about the throwing the bat and stuff like that, and then apologizing to the to the bat maker and and stories like that. And then you know he went and visited um, George Sizzler's grave after he. Uh, passed him on the all-time single season hits leaderboard and and all that kind of stuff the guy just had immense respect for the game um and i was i sent a text to you uh, a couple days ago about how you know the mariners have been such a maligned franchise and people you know have put them at the butt of their jokes but the mariners have had some really really special players come through here that have meant so much to the game Ken Griffey, Edgar Martinez, and Ichiro is at the forefront of that. And, and that's some, of course, how could you forget Blake Beaven? <laughs> <laughs> that's the second Blake Beaven shout out of the day. Yeah. Uh, I got to work one more in there. Bill but, Vasey. Oh, God, that, the, the B club, you're not I'm telling kidding. you, it's it Blake Bortles, dude. I, I, I could really, really. Why aren't you, you should have been, you should have fulfilled your destiny and been a Mariners minor leaguer. Give it time, right? We're still waiting for that trout thing to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the um, but, yeah, it, he was just uh, he was everything that was right about the sport, and I know a lot of people got on him because they the perceived aloofness towards the media and not wanting to speak English and stuff. But a lot of that was just the fact that the guy just wanted to play baseball and played at the highest level he could, and he didn't care about the glitz and the glamour. It's how many ha- commercials did you see with Ichiro? How many, you know, uh, like how many times did you see Ichiro go out of his way to make it about Ichiro? It was never about Ichiro. It was about him just loving to play the game. Yeah. I was about to make this comparison that I, I might immediately regret, but it's kind of think about the Seahawks recently and like how every player on the Seahawks was just so mercurial. And, and when they were winning, they were quirky and they were funny and they were ours. And we, t- we took ownership of them. Uh, but when, when the Seahawks started to turn down, not that they were ever a bad team, but when things didn't look so rosy, all of a sudden guys who were, you know, quirky like Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas, Marshawn Lynch started to get a little bit of a, of a rap and the PR changed uh, from one side to the other. That kind of happened with Ichiro. Like thinking back to the good old days with the Mariners, I mean, he was beyond lovable. I mean, he was he was just this this cute little part of of these really good teams. And then as it only really turned when they were just bad for so long and that it was, you know, obviously out of his control. Uh, right. But, it is, it but the is thing I would say, yeah. the thing I would say about that is Ichiro never changed. The narrative around him may have changed. Sure. Those guys, the ones you mentioned, the Shermans, and granted, I don't follow football as closely or really closely at all, but I saw in the you know newspapers and stuff, those guys seem to have changed. Mm-hmm. They changed their demeanors and they changed the way and they started complaining and they started, you know, saying, well, why is this guy getting paid and this guy isn't getting paid and whatever. Ichiro just was Ichiro. Whether they were winning 116 games or they were winning 65 games, Ichiro was who he was, and and it was just the circumstances around him that changed. Yeah, very true, very true. 
Um, all right. So yeah, Ichiro, fantastic career. Um, thank you for, for all of your time in Seattle. Mine are uh, a little funnier. Randy Johnson is my ex-mariner of the week or one of them. Uh, Why? What's for, he doing? It was the 18-year anniversary this week of him beating that dove. Wow. That. <laughs> what are the odds that that ha- – I mean, how could that even happen? I mean <laughs> – it do, it's not it's not possible like it, it could never not. ever be done you could you could have this would be a great minor league <laughs> i can't believe this this would be a great minor league baseball gimmick is give every fan that walked in a dove and have them all release them and at once and see if see if the pitcher could do it <laughs> with with a thousand doves i think you'd be getting a call from Peter on that one but <laughs> it would never happen with, no, with, you know how they talk about like unbreakable records, like the hitting yeah. streak. Joe DiMaggio just hit. That is the most unbreakable record of all time, as far as I'm concerned. That will ne- you could you could play baseball from now until the heat death of the universe, and that's never gonna happen again. Ever. I just love that it was Randy Johnson too. Like like <laughs> yeah, the hardest throwing <laughs> yeah. guy. Just a freaking flamethrower is the guy. Like imagine <laughs> imagine that's the same universe, and Jamie Moyer was at the plate and or at, at on the hill and threw that. And it like the dove survives, but it was just oh so close. But no, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was Randy Johnson. Just, a wing if it was a yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and just speared him. Um, yeah, that was that was insane. Um, so I have rent that for Randy Johnson, but then I also the, have the, the bird exploded. I mean, yeah. it was just like it just like ceased yeah. to even have no, it matter. You, you watch the tape. There's no blood. There's no yeah. like the the bird is just gone. It's like it's like the end of Avengers. <laughs> yeah it was it just got it got snapped out of existence <laughs> oh god anyways so i have some more x mariner that was stuff. a great one oh, like, yeah, i'm excited for the rest like i said I, I prepare for this way too hard um so this is two truths and a lie x mariner style um, okay two of these are real one of these are is not real um and it's up to you to decide i will go through them uh, at all and then we'll, we'll run through them the first is uh also related to randy johnson okay randy johnson had a, a a mansion in Arizona uh, that was purchased for $7.3 million by a, a, a Delaware LLC uh, named Mummy Mountain LLC. And uh, no one knows what who it is. And people in Arizona are really upset because they want to know who lives in their community. Uh, but you can't disclose or you don't have to disclose who you are uh, if you buy property in Delaware uh, from an that from an, that's uh, true because I saw a news article about this <clears throat> all right you shouldn't have done that that ruined the whole thing uh <laughs> but, but well no I still gotta I still gotta I still gotta figure out the lie all right so there, there's two more you are correct okay. that is true uh okay the second one their odds just went way up here now that you've eliminated one of them the Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team in the NHL and need only to go 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games to win the most games in NHL history for a regular season team. Lou Pinella. Okay, I have no idea about that one, so I'm going to have to guess. Lou Pinella, Tampa resident, okay. as we know, loves Tampa Bay, forced his way mm-hmm. there, gave them some advice about pushing for the record, saying, and he kind of was talking about the whole ch- chasing 116 wins thing, but in the article... He was talking about that 2001 Mariners team saying, if I had Randy Johnson in 2001, we would have beat those expletive Yankees. Third one. This is uh, from the Ichiro Swan Song series. Shigatoshi Hasegawa, former Mariner, former uh, Japanese Wait, player. wait. So was the Tampa Bay Lightning thing? What was that? What do you mean, what was that? So are there four truths in a lie or three truths in a lie? No, that was that was one of them. Is that Lou Oh, Pinella. that was all one of them. Oh, yeah, oh, that oh, Lupinella oh. thing is is uh, is either a truth or a lie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Shigatoshi Hasegawa uh, talking about Ichiro. 
said, he is not just a baseball player in Japan. He is like Madonna and Michael Jackson. This year, the favorite athlete is this guy. Still, he is still huge here, and he's 45 years old. So, which one is the truth? Uh, Lou Pinella saying those bleeping Yankees or Shigatoshi Hasegawa not being a fan of Michael Jackson documentaries, apparently. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, so the 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 expletive from Pinella kind of makes me believe it's the truth because that guy had a lot of profanity-ridden tirades in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, Shiggy. I haven't heard from Shiggy in a while. Is he still like a guy over there? I don't know. Why, why would anyone care what Shigatoshi Hasegawa has to say? Uh, um, he was there for the whole, whole PR tour with Kazu and Kenji Jojima. Oh, he was? Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, the Michael Jackson thing, has he not, has he not read the newspapers lately about this new documentary? If that were true, apparently... What do you think? Okay, I'm I'm gonna say what's true is uh, the Pinella thing, and what's false is the Shiggy thing. You are incorrect. Oh no! Shiggy is just tone deaf. That's all it is. Um, okay. So Lou Pinella did not say he that. He never said that. He never he never said that. He did actually oh. have that. All of that is true, other than his quote. He did have an interesting quote in there talking about why the Mariners failed that year. Uh, it was kind of funny given that we just talked about this since 2001. Pinella said, we got stretched out in that first playoff series. He said, we we had to go five games to beat Cleveland. We had a really good team, but only had one or two starters who could beat the Yankees. We got stretched to five games in the first series, and Jamie Moyer, my number one guy, had to start game five against Cleveland. So we had to use our four and five guys against the Yankees in game one or two. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, it was really interesting that, that, that just the Moyer part of it made a big difference. Um but it totally makes sense because that pitching staff was successful, but not actually overpowering. Right. That's the thing is about um, postseason baseball is you don't need five good starters, which the Mariners had. You need three exceptional starters, yep. you know? Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's something that they didn't have. Yeah. Uh, but it is interesting that, that uh, I don't think, because you remember, I mean, obviously the Warriors won 73 games the other year, you know, a mm-hmm. few years ago, no one was going, to, no, one was, no one was knocking on Lou Pinella's door asking them if they should, go for the record or not but uh but that's that's what Pinella has become he's apparently the arbiter of whether teams should chase records huh so he's he's the uh gatekeeper on like best teams of all time to never win the world series or the championship i guess so which is doesn't really feel like that like because it's you know it's not like the warriors that didn't win who are stacked it was just kind of this weird yeah, confluence of events. That, that yeah, he's also the about. gatekeeper on how far you can throw first base into the outfield, <laughs> which is fun. That's that's his record. Randy has his for for exploding doves. Um, yeah, we're probably never going to see a, a, a manager throw a, a base again, are we? I don't think so. I think the closest you get to that, and especially now with instant replay, where like the actual uh, events of consequence can just be, you know, rewound and basically done over. I think the closest we're going to get to that anymore is like managers like sternly waving their fists from the dugout. Although Terry Collins got pretty close in what I would say is the best manager tirade since Lou Pinella. If you there's a there's a video online where he's mic'd up and he sounds just like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas when he's going. It's it's <laughs> I didn't insult him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so great. It's... I can't say the words that he said on here, but. Uh, Go watch it if you're interested. Who is the minor league ump that pretended to use the rosin bag as a grenade? 
Oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I know <laughs> that guy's exactly awesome. who you're talking about. That guy should do like kids' birthday parties and stuff. Like he is, <laughs> he is crazy. That guy was out of his mind. That's yeah. what being in the minor leagues will do to you. That's why you got to smoke weed and chill out. Yeah, and have have release a dove promo nights. Um, <laughs> I think we just solved the whole minor league issue. <laughs> I'm telling you, if PETA didn't exist, that would be an incredible, incredible giveaway. Uh, you get your own dove. Maybe it dies. Maybe it doesn't. But you got to recreate this. Anyways, uh, what's your bonus? You got a hypothetical for me in the bonus. I don't have any trivia for you. But okay, yeah, this it. is. Yeah. So I want to. I want to make a statement right off the bat. This is not my hypothetical. I did not invent this one. I saw it on a baseball forum as I was scouring the internet. But it's so worth talking about because it's it's just really fun. And I don't know what the logical conclusion to this would be. But ever since the advent of the intentional base on balls uh going to no pitches and now it's just the manager's discretion to put a guy on on base there is no more um pitching that actually has to happen to intentionally walk a guy so it's all out of the player's hands it can be completely dictated by the manager so my hypothetical here is what if a manager just got so frustrated and so upset and said you know what i'm quitting today this is how i'm i'm tendering my resignation I'm just going to keep intentionally walking batters until some, until, and I don't know until when, until when would that happen? Uh, my two questions for you would be how many batters would it take before the uh, announcers started just going, what, what, what is going on here? Like how, what is this guy doing? And then how many batters would it take before this madman was stopped until he was like wrestled out of the dugout and forced to forced to quit? How, how would this, how would this scenario reach its conclusion? So I have I have a couple of plausible things that this could happen for. One is it's game 162, and in game 161, a team had been Jim Joyce, essentially. So a, a terrible call had happened that had mm-hmm. caused them to lose out on a playoff spot. And in game 162, they were so upset uh, the manager was so upset and had the entire buy-in of the locker room to be able to do it. Because otherwise, this wouldn't be able to happen if it was just a rogue manager because someone would step in. Some player. But who's somebody? Who has the ability to step in? The bench coach. His buddy would just be like, dude, come on. You've done three of these. It's over. But but, but what, 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 if, what, if, what if he just said, no, it's not over. It's not over until I say it's over. I think they wrestle him to the ground. I think that this, <laughs> this ends in bloodshed. Does the general manager come out of like his box suite and in his suit and just fire the manager on the spot and say you're done? Yeah, I think I think it happens. I think I think maybe in a road game where the owner isn't there, like because Depoto doesn't go to every game. So if this happened, right. if Scott Service was just over it and started doing this, I don't know who checks him first. I think it's D Gordon, but I'm not positive because uh, D would be on the field actually for this. He would he would right. have to. The players are powerless here. It's it's all the manager's discretion. What if you had the bullpen, like the John Rocker situation, where someone just runs out of the bullpen across the field <laughs> to just tackle Scott Service? I think that's how you'd have to have it happen. Someone would have to forcibly remove him <laughs> from the game. <laughs> or the players would just have to walk off the field and say, we quit. You know who would who would have totally done this? Is uh, is fed up John McLaren, circa t- 2008. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just the malaise of yeah. being the manager. I'm the manager. sick and tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> when John McLaren fake freaked out on everybody. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great scenario. But I do think that there is some steam to that. If, if the joicing happened in game 161, 
and 162 was meaningless and everyone was super pissed off. Okay, so how long would the umpires allow this to go on for? If he, if he had total buy-in from the front office, the ownership, the players, whatever, and they well, said, we're just going to keep doing this until someone makes us stop, how would, would the MLB have to get involved? Would they get a call from Rob Manfred and say, yeah, yeah, you have yeah to- I think so. I think he, he gets on the special Bud Selig All-Star hotline and, and calls it in that it, it, this has to end. Um, because I do think that it would probably, like, if it happened and – the play caused two runs to score or something like that, that that pissed off the manager that he would just do it until they scored two runs like ceremoniously to start the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it does get stopped from above at some point. It has to. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't allow it to go on, but I just don't know F- what the fans would be losing like the their MLB minds. would be for that. Yeah. The people will be throwing stuff. But maybe huh, not, because then the team be is just scoring now. more runs if it's if it's at home. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a scary one. Um, <laughs> all right, I, ju- I just realized we haven't actually talked any Mariners baseball, like real Mariners baseball, in like half an hour. But I don't care. Uh, to the Yellow Hydro, we go for your Mariner of the Week. Ichiro would be an obvious one to give this to. Um, the Ichiro and M's for working it out from a PR perspective, <laughs> um, for doing this the right way was was a good one. Uh, I've got Tim Beckham, who is to Japan. Yeah, as, that's a good as, one. Tim Beckham was great. Yeah, that he's, series. he's to Japan as Clay Thompson is to China. Just absolutely does way better there. I mean, Clay Thompson does pretty well in America. but So what it's, a it's breath of country. fresh air that would be if he turned out to be, you know, he was the number one overall pick. So yeah. it's, obviously there's some talent there. What a breath of fresh air it would be if he realized that talent. And I don't know what the Mariners would do. Would that make? Would they move him to third base and and say, you know, Seager, there's no spot for you anymore, or would they try and trade him? I don't know, but it would be it would certainly present some intriguing options that I would like to see play out. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that there's no there's no cost and there's no investment in here, so it panning out would be would be something. But uh, yeah, I, I, he's not going to hit seven eighteen the rest of the year, but um, but you never know. And then my last one here would be Ryan Healy, who flashed a little glove from third base. Uh, yeah, that was nice. Had a couple nice plays, and then uh, only 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 hits extra base hits, two doubles and a dinger uh, in his and a grounded into double play. So it's it's a true Ryan Healy special. I told you he only hits he only hits extra base hits. That's it. And ex- <laughs> extra out extra out hits. <laughs> extra out extra only extras for him. Yeah. Who do you got? Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Vogelbach. Because he came into the he came into the game and he uh, probably could have pouted and said you know why this is kind of stupid why am I I'm so I'm clearly much better than the guy who's taking my at bats Um, but he didn't he stayed professional he got hit on the elbow which probably hurt like hell and he's just come back and now he's gonna he's gonna rev up for a a a full time uh, starting role with the Mariners which is gonna be nice to see. Or not, maybe not starting, but at least a hefty amount of at bats. You had to say hefty about Daniel. He's been working so hard to <laughs> to lose all this weight, and then you throw he looks fat, good. He does. Throwing a does. fat joke. I don't like to comment. I don't like to comment on other men's bodies too much, but he does look good. <laughs> he he does look good. Not as good as Kyle Seager looks, who looks just great. But uh, but yeah, that was that was good. Um, I propose next week, not this week. Uh, but in addition to the yellow hydro, we also hand out a Dave Sims hat, which is the opposite of a yellow hydro. The Dave Sims hat, <laughs> the little fedora thing he wears. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. The, the, the houndstooth fedora that goes to the the shittiest dam of the week. I like that, and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for that because <laughs> by the next time we talk, 
the Mariners will be in full swing, and that's going to be so fun to watch. We get four games with the Red Sox. I'm hoping they win one of them. I'm going to the game on Sunday, so I'll get to see the team up close and personal. Nice. And it's just going to be – it's gonna. I'm so excited baseball's back. I think that's the one thing we didn't even mention, but baseball's back. By the next time you hear our voices – it's gonna be it's gonna be the real deal. We'll do this when you go to the game on Sunday. Take a lap around the stadium. Notice some things that have changed, and we'll give uh, we'll give the people a nice little little stadium report of of uh, kind of how to how to do it best. Because I heard that there are five dollar Miller High Lifes somewhere in the stadium, which is oh well, then I'll have to go find those. As this is big news, so you finding those would would uh, provide some immense real, value for our listeners. Real quick before we go, what is I I'm not complaining. I like the trend, but what is up with all these? Um, stadium concession pricing like it's just you know it used to be so, good. so much more expensive and now everyone's going the other way and they're and they're they're just slashing their prices yeah i think it's it becomes it was it used to change from like the disneyland mentality of like we got you in the building we can charge however the hell we want but then they realized well that's dissuading people from actually going to the building right coming yep exactly so we have to do things to uh to make this more appealing to come in and then once you come in that any any dollar you spend on top of the ticket is uh is is gravy in our book but yeah it is it is super refreshing yeah it's a good business model i like it i'm there i'm a go. fan yeah so at your restaurants you charge like what $45 to get in and then it's $5 for everything else yeah we have the bouncer check IDs outside the door too make sure no one's getting in un unfairly yeah just kidding we don't do that <laughs> good good good, good. but yeah, don't come in an underage drink because that's not cool either yeah nice psa to end this uh yeah all right phil good stuff uh enjoy the game on sunday and uh we'll talk again next week all right i'm looking forward to it full 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 160 we'll be here for it hell yeah all right man all right take care Peace.